All right, welcome everybody to an episode of EM Over Easy, recording here in gray New York City for Cord 2020 at the Academic Assembly. I'm here with my co-host, Drew Cownell, joined by a renowned and esteemed and any other flowery word you can think oh, for an for awesome God's person. Sakes. Just get to Mike, it. Mike Gisandi, the vice chair at Stanford. Kind of education. We have several yeah, colleagues. Yeah, but, but, but kind of a baller and everything that oh he God, has to man. do with. Thanks for that. Yeah. Just gave two incredible talks this morning. At Cord. So yeah, thank thanks for, for uh, showing up. I had fun. It was a blast. I'm, I had a lot I'm of coffee. Brand our program. Heck yeah. Vision, mission, brand audit. Yeah. I'll get into that some other time. Why, how, and no, why, how, and what, right? Yeah, why, how, what? The golden circles. Golden circles. If you haven't done that for your life or for yourself or for your program, you totally should. So, so that you're making reference to the Simon Sinek mm-hmm. TED Talk. I don't want yeah. to take credit for his no. work. It's the best TED Talk ever. By far the best. But real quick, before we get on with this conversation, a couple things for our listeners. If you have not checked out our website recently, please do that. We are expanding our blog posts. we got a couple awesome students from Ohio University who are uh, in the medical school there that are writing blog posts for us. And you have a chance to sign up for an email that we're sending out one to two times a month that tells you more about what we, Andy, Tanner, and myself are doing as far as hosts, our life, what we're listening to, reading, things like that. It's a lot of fun. So please check that out. All right. Now on with the regular scheduled program. So, Mike, you gave a talk at Ikigai that we were all at a couple years ago that we've been wanting to have you on the show about, talking about this idea of mastermind groups. And it was a talk that I went in thinking, like, what is this dribble that Mike's going to talk about? I'll be honest. Like, I went uh, in very I, skeptical. I, wow. That's, that's I went in very, very on skeptical. brand. Wow. Okay, that's yeah. on brand for me. Yeah, but, but I went in very skeptical. Like, yeah. oh, it's going to be super academic. It's going to be over my head. And then I left being like, one, why have not done more of this? And then how do I do more of it? And since then, we've been able to interact. Um, and now you're part of one of my mastermind groups. Yeah. And so what's the concept and how do people go about doing it? So the original idea for a mastermind group, or in fact, I think when it was originally published, Mastermind Dinners, came from this guy, Napoleon Hill. And he published a book in 1937 called Think and Grow Rich. And one of the themes that comes out of his book is this idea that you can bring together communities of not peers, but perhaps peers in age or peers in um, stature or role and responsibility, but with diverse backgrounds um, and meet regularly to help one another solve problems. So for instance, let's say a lawyer, a doctor, a clergyman, and a businessman who all have the same leadership dilemmas within their individual spheres of influence would have dinner together maybe once a month. And they'd state their problems and everyone else in the group would offer suggestions on how to perhaps navigate that problem. And it was a safe space, right? These are not your colleagues at work. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1937, there was no internet. There was no no Twitter. Twitter, Nobody was going to post your... The minutes um, of the meeting. Yeah, the problems. So this, this sort of grew in primarily the business field, but we experimented with it, particularly in academic life and emergency medicine um, over the last several years. And we used it as a junior faculty development framework. So interestingly, because it was academic life, we are a community of practice, the folks who run that website, but a globally distributed community of practice. We have folks from the UK to Australia. um, And it's hard to uh, imagine that we would have an in-person faculty development opportunity, particularly for the junior faculty. So Michelle Lynn and I hosted the first mastermind group with, again, a diverse panel. All Now, this in this case, all emergency physicians, but from instructor to full professor. And it was about career preparation. And we used Dory Clark's book, Reinventing You. Appendix A has a really nice self-inventory mm-hmm. for goal setting. So we had 
folks fill that out. Shout out to Dory Clark of Matter Once. And they came prepared to the first session, which we hosted on Google Hangout, which now you could host on Skype or Zoom. And everyone described their goals and we workshopped them. It was nice to be able to offer some content validity from Michelle and I and, and others on the panel. Uh, I think it was nice to have a group of junior faculty peers struggling with the same problems at different institutions. And we found value in that meeting. So we had another and then we had another. And after a while, I think those groups broke off and they found new groups and it, it sort of grew from there. Having been in, in some mastermind groups since this original idea was brought up to me, it's been interesting that you bring up the idea that you don't have to be from the same cohort, which I think is awesome. No, purposely, you should not be from yeah. the same cohort. Yeah. So why do you think that matters? What does that add to your mastermind group? Maybe instead of getting a bunch of people that you work with or people at least with your same job title in the same profession. I go back to this concept of community practice. So community practice is uh, a med-ed term. It's really an educational psychology term that folks who have similar backgrounds share the same learning interests. They want to produce scholarship together. They want to learn the same topics. They have um, the ability to curate material for one another that's pertinent and in line with whatever their professional goals are, their research goals, when you talk about physicians. A mastermind group is exactly the opposite, right? It's it's folks who share only a problem or a challenge in their professional life, but but they purposely are not a community of practice. You have to pick diversity of thought in order to make the mastermind group strong, right? Otherwise, you're just speaking in an echo chamber. You have all of your friends or peers in the same specialty or the same role telling you the same thing over and over and over again. And how do you make your organization dynamic in that framework? You don't. It's much more valuable to hear how a lawyer and a businessman and a clergyman would solve the same exact leadership problems in your field. Take from it what you will. It's, it's a bit of a buffet, but you certainly grow and learn. I think the other nice thing is that the curation is very different. So instead of your community of practice curating material that you would all share an interest in, in mastermind groups, it's great. Particularly, you know, the modern ones we did with Alien, it was here's a blog post you have to read that you may not normally go to this this website. Here's a podcast episode that I loved. It's on the exact challenge that you had. You probably haven't listened to it yet. And and you can walk away with a whole menu of resources that you can read and digest or listen to like this and digest and come back to the next next session more informed with a more nuanced question or a higher level question, and then ask it again. And it's really nice to be able to share your passions and your interests and your resources with folks outside of your field who are struggling as well. This is where the Dory Clark book came in. I really enjoyed it. I use the appendix all the time when I'm doing faculty development sessions. I think it's worthwhile. And most folks hadn't read her book. They just It's a different sphere for most of the folks that, that go to these meetings. One of the other concepts that comes up with mastermind groups, you mentioned your peer community or the community you're, you're living and working in most of the time is not your mastermind group. But beyond that, if you're going to expand outside, it's even beyond your friends or kind of relations. You want to bring in people that share the same problem like you mentioned, but otherwise you really have no real connection with so that it's a pure conversation about the problem and not placating to somebody's personality or their persona and niceties. Why is that so important in the mastermind group? Can I swear on your podcast? Absolutely. You want, I mean, almost total strangers to call bullshit on your bullshit, 
I mean, honestly, I think that's that's sure. the best the best reason that I have for for picking people that you admire. I think that's a nice thing, right? You can you can find the persona, or you can find the the person with the reputation and the image that you know that you respect, right? It's it's a trusted learning resource for you. We talk about trusted learning resources all the time when building foundational knowledge. It just might be somebody that you have a fanboy crush on that you just want to meet and learn from. Um, or, you know, you're expanding your own network. Your personal board of directors could change because you got to meet this individual that was invited by your friend who knew another friend. And, and sort of that's how these things can, can grow. And certainly in the original book by Hill, that's the suggestion that you should all have dinner together and you should bring a friend who's a little bit different than the group would normally have. I'll give you an example of of when it hasn't worked for me. So every year at Stanford, I've been hosting a mastermind session, just two parts, um, using the same references and resources I just described for our incoming fellows. So we have 11 fellowships. Many of them are two years. Um, there's a lot of fellows at our place, almost 20. Mm-hmm. And we do a, a two-stage mastermind group. And it's around career direction and making sure folks are, are setting goals early in their fellowship um, so that they can get the right scholarship done and be involved in the right projects. And when I assign the curation task, right? So come with a book on this topic, come with a podcast episode that you really enjoyed on this topic. They struggle, right? They just, they've been in medical school and residency and they just haven't read anything other than medical textbooks for the better part of eight years. So I think that's, you know, that's an example of when it just doesn't work. And this is why variety matters. I've thought about how I can make those more interesting next year when I revisit the, the curriculum. And I'm probably going to draw from the local tech community so that I, I don't just fill the room with a bunch of doctors and, sure. and frankly, junior doctors who, who just don't have the same time to read as perhaps I have the last several years. Yeah, that experience outside of medicine doesn't exist for them. So it's hard to, or recently exists for them. Correct. So it's hard to think beyond what they've just been immersed in for the last eight plus years. Yeah, I will say there's one question that works really well. So you could try this um, at your home institutions. So one of the questions I ask uh, is for recommendations of, again, personal board of directors members. It's sort of like a little mini networking session. So imagine the global health fellow who really wants to uh, explore how you start an NGO, right? And all of the other fellows in the room come from places that have global health faculty, if not fellowship programs, and they can hand out the names of their faculty members who they know would respond to a cold call inquiry with an email address. Sometimes there's e-introductions made. So instead of walking out with a bunch of books, you walk out with a bunch of names and contacts, and then you meet them at a meeting. Like, that's so valuable, right? But it's the- building a, a secondary mastermind group Correct. based on connections. Correct. And you can, you can lean in or as much as you like to, right, based on, on the response and um, the content knowledge of these individuals. But you know, rather than books and resources, I, I think that becomes very, very valuable. And it gives the fellows something that they have authority over, right? They know who these individuals are. They've had a relationship with them and they can vouch for them. It's almost reverse sponsorship, right? Yeah. Something for me, I think that's been great with mastermind groups is it also has been a great feeder of where I need to put my effort. So I, I, I have one, it's, it's actually our neighborhood. There's a morning breakfast once a month. I go to breakfast. It's me and 18 other guys. Um, we, I'm the only physician in the room and it always leads with, you have five minutes to say, what's your problem this month? And it's been great for me to realize that as I explain my problem to people, for them to give me the, they, they don't bullshit me and they say, that's stupid. 
And I'm like, I'm not. And, it, and if as a group they think it's stupid, it's not officially off my radar as a problem. And so it's been a good check for me to realize is that it also is a place where you can help delineate where your effort should go when solving problems. Because it might not really be a problem for everybody else. It might just be one that you're the problem and then fix yourself. I'm so having it's been kind flashbacks of one of those great... to, to the Aaron of grievances from uh, Seinfeld. And then literally somebody just saying, that's not even a grievance. Yeah. Just... But but, but th- that's one of the big pauses I found is that as this group and even other people, they'll come with their problem. And then the other 17 of us go like, I'm, I'm not sure why this is a problem for you. Because from our perspective and from our profession, what they're complaining about is just nothing. I hope the Festivus episode ends up in the show notes. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, we're, well, now. We're, we're a little older than probably your target audience. Yeah. Um, but thanks to YouTube, they can totally yeah, we'll find it, the, the yeah. YouTube link. Andy, we'll Andy right had there. nowhere to go with that. <laughs> What's the name of the poll? Is it a Festivus poll? Oh, gosh. I don't I think it was. It might be. Yeah, it might I be think it was, yeah. right? Um, now yeah, you know, so, so I, I love that. Um, I have, I have found fundamental questions about this setup. So one, 18 members is a lot of members. It's Times big. five I, minutes. I, I, I can't do the math off the yeah. top of my head because I'm a, not that bright. It's about but. two hours when we meet. Yeah, that's that's a long meeting. Yeah. I'm exhausted um, just thinking about it. That really, and then you're going to eat your eggs in like ten minutes. So yeah. then what do you do? Yeah, um, that's just a lot of people. So so you know we, we've talked about having diversity of thought. I think you do have to think about how many people are going to be in the group mm-hmm. and what qualifications they have to have to get in. And then once you have your stable group, like nobody else gets in. Yeah, it's behind the velvet rope. Right, these are special people that you develop a relationship with. I really admire that you guys can get that many individuals mentored in in that short a time that's tough yeah and I'll, I'll admit that some months i'm just there as a listener and some months i'm more expert participant so probably 10 to 12 of us actually get something done okay so, but, eight, but eight it's to 12 nice. seems to be the recurring theme when you read about mastermind yeah. groups as the no more than mm-hmm. really less than six doesn't work either because there's not enough diversity in correct in input so that six to 12 range probably eight to 12 is your your ideal number you know this isn't a true mastermind group. no no this, this is more is, of this a is, this breakfast is a guy's breakfast, that, but that mastermind some. But I use it sometimes as a mastermind group to be like, hey guys, I'm having this issue at work. And everybody's like, all 18 of us have that problem. Don't that's think that that is. And to me, I think that's what's bringing diversity of thought is that I think sometimes as physicians, we have this thought that we operate in a silo and our problems are only our problems. But when you actually reach out, everybody's got the same 10 to 15% of garbage. It's just how much of that is job specific and then you can deal with. Well, and my guess is you probably teach them so much, right? I mean, if you think about the authenticity of our job, much of it is about decision-making with very little information. And being decisive is tough. It's a learned skill for us. And a lot of other fields, they don't, they don't learn that. So I'm mm-hmm. sure that they learn just as much from you, Dr. Little. Hey, so I have more questions. So you talked about them calling bullshit on your issues. Mm-hmm. How many of them have to do that for you to just a couple. Just is it I mean is it a single veto on your life or do they have to have consensus? No, I mean it's it's for me it's like four or five. Four or five people like if it's consistent like yeah, I don't, I don't think this is a thing. And granted there haven't been that many big ones brought up, but the one that I remember I went to a meeting and I was like this is this is an Alamo for me. And then I walked out and I was like no, nah, I'm good. Like cuz I, I I pitched it and they were all just like like most of them it was mostly the well we have that in my job too. Wasn't I in the back of your head saying, Andy, you can't have five Alamos. There's only one Alamo. Well, What's there's an only, Alamo. You know, like the, the your last stand, the thing you're going to oh, die. Oh, okay. The hill you're going to die day. I've been in the Alamo a couple times. I yeah, probably should have known that reference. Yeah. Andy has an issue with he has a lot of Alamos. Mm. And uh, I have to remind him all the time that you really, I mean, it's your last stand. You can only 
have won. So I, I think that's, that's really interesting to me. And it speaks to you as an individual and how comfortable you are with yourself, right? I think there's a whole lot of egotistical doctors out there that would need 80% consensus before they would really believe that someone could, could critically analyze their life and change their position on something or the way they think about an issue. And so that speaks to you. It speaks to the psychological safety of the group too, which is another difficult cultural thing to develop in these groups. So, you know, the frequency of meetings probably helps with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you as an individual, I think if others probably shared your, your thoughtful humility, really warm characteristics, I think that's probably why the group is so functional. You know, if we talk about structure, I, I think we have to talk about scheduling. So if I go into a mastermind group and I'm like, Hey, you should read Dory Clark's book. You can't meet again in two weeks. Like that's just, that's, that's unrealistic. Unrealistic. We all have busy commitments and lives. It's sort of like a book club. So I think being thoughtful about how frequently you meet, but also the kinds of resources that you're going to offer one another, the types of problems or challenges you're going to try to overcome. You have to make all those things align, right? These are all of the design questions that are fun, but they're going to be really important to the success and longevity of your group as well. Question about design. There's two theories about how to run these meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's multiple theories. Two big theories. One is that everybody has some time or most people in the mastermind group have some time to bring up their issues and it goes throughout the entire meeting. Another concept is that essentially somebody's on the hot seat and this is their mastermind meeting and every everything focuses on that one person and then the next meeting would be about somebody else. Do you have any take on maybe which is better for, for medicine purposes or even just the pluses and minuses to the two concepts? Yeah, I think you move out of the, the traditional mastermind dinner as it was originally described and you're getting into more pure consult groups. So there's lots of frameworks for pure consults, uh, more than I think we could talk about on this podcast. Sure. I would suggest you just Google pure consult. Pure consults work really well based on the framework and based on the challenges and, and and frankly, the participants. So I'll give you an example. Some peer consults, you just come in, you talk about your problems. Other people give you advice. There may or may not be time for anybody else's problems. And then you agree to meet again in some period of time. There's not a lot of curation, not a lot of resource delivery or transfer. It's really about just advice, right? Other frameworks, you can come in and stand on the opera stage and you get to speak without anyone else interrupting you. And then you have to stop and listen and you can't have any more discussion of your topic, right? It's just taking the feedback. It's not a conversation. You can do questions only. So you state your problem and people can only respond to you in the form of a question. You could do single statement peer consults. So you state the problem and someone gives a single sentence response and it goes around the room. So you can include a lot of people that way. Um, and it takes away some of the, I'm the only one talking pressure, mm-hmm. but I don't think they're the same as what maybe you guys are, are talking about with mastermind groups, because it's less about longitudinal learned experience that's driving advice. Again, maybe based on the participants, but it's, it's more of a feedback mechanism. Sure. And I think that that also has its place. It's actually worth talking about as a comparison to these. So if I was to say somebody who's not in a mastermind group, what would be your advice to go find one. Yeah. So you can go on Google again and and search for mastermind groups near me. And there are a lot of them. Some are, you know, a little bit of proprietary money making. You have to pay to get into the organization. And that's fine too. And I think those are the ones where you're going to meet a lot of Mm -hmm. non-physicians. There'll be a lot of structure to the meetings. You may not actually get accepted into the group right away. 
And they may be the most helpful for you. I think if you're a junior faculty member, if you're a resident, a lot of your problems really are about career decisions. What's the next transition I have to go through? And for those, I think finding faculty who will give of their time and pairing them with folks who are where you want to be in three years or five years, and then you, maybe a couple peers, a bit of the alien mm-hmm. kind of model. Yeah, I, I think that can be very helpful. The deliberate choice of who goes into those invitations is important. You want to be just like them, right? So you got to pick those people. I think another important decision is the time it takes to mentor people when you're a senior faculty member. And one way that you can make the invitation palatable is if you show up for an hour and give us some feedback in this group format, I'm not going to bug you again for three more months. And sometimes that crosses from the advisor role to the mentor role. And it's it's something that's easy to schedule as opposed to fielding unexpected calls or emails. And you just have to respect their time and their schedule in that way. And that might get them at the table. It's going to be easier to get your peers at the table. But, but getting busy people to all answer a doodle. I hate doodle. Another doodle in your inbox is just, it's just torture. Well, Mike, we really appreciate you coming on and at least introducing this topic to our listeners. There's going to be, this is going to be a ton of show notes with a ton of really good references, including the Festivus area of grievances. Oh, I can't YouTube, wait. That's going to be my job to find that link. For those of you that listen, don't forget to follow us on our social media pages, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and our blog site, emoverezy.com. And if you don't already follow Mike Jasandi, be sure to do it. He is a prolific tweeter. Mike Jasandi is his handle. Michael Jasandi is his website, blog site, that has a ton of great information too for budding and well-established clinicians and academicians. So please check him out, follow him. He does incredible things and you will certainly salivate over all his international travels as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey guys, this is a pleasure and an honor to be with you. I uh, really respect what you guys have done and the fact that you've kept it going. There's there's a lot of podcasts that die and you guys really have been committed to uh, a mission and I'm so impressed. And listeners, I don't know if you know this, but I I have an undergrad class at Stanford. They let me teach the undergrads and I assigned an EM over easy episode to my undergrads. So that's how much I respect you guys. And I think uh, you're doing good work. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. me.